0: Great to be with you. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and let's find our place in Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. I've got to tell you, I've been looking forward to Acts 10. It's one of those chapters I can't wait to dig into. And uh, Let me just back up and say one thing. I was sitting in here on the front row and just singing with you all and singing with my church family. Let me, let me remind, remind you how important it is for all of us to do what we just did. We sang a song and we were singing it, to the Lord, yes, but I got, you got to know we were singing it to each other because I need together with God's people to have you remind me that Jesus is better than anything else in the world. I need to be reminded of that. Because if you hadn't figured it out, every voice out there is telling you everything under the sun is better than Jesus. And they are empty pursuits. And we need to be here and we need to assemble and we need to gather together. Thank you for reminding me of what I need to hear. Jesus is better. and We need to be here to encourage each other to that and gather around truths like that. So thank you for singing to the top of your voice and reminding me of that. this where I needed to know that. Acts chapter 10. Uh, We're talking about the early church and the growth and the expansion of the early church here in Jerusalem. Now, up to this point, we've been walking through the book of Acts. And just to review a little bit, the church has been unstoppable. Unstoppable. Uh, the church is expanding numerically, and the church is growing by the thousands, and God is sh- revealing himself through miracles and signs, and people are being healed, and lives are being changed, and thousands are being baptized. And We've been following that along in the book of Acts. Uh, God is on the move, and the church is unstoppable. Now, we come to Acts chapter 10, and I've got to be really honest with you, we're going to come to a juncture in the road in Acts chapter 10 that if some things don't work out the way they work out, the ministry and the, the advancement of the gospel, the, the declaring of Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, it may come to a screeching halt in Acts chapter 10 if God doesn't intervene. See, we come to Acts chapter 10, and let me take just a second and set up what's going on. Uh, If I could put it this way, there's an elephant in the room when we come to Acts chapter 10. Now, you know what that expression means. That doesn't mean there's a large pachyderm, you know, with big ears and a trunk. It's a figure of speech to mean there's an issue. There's an issue that's very obvious to everyone there. It's a glaring issue and nobody wants to deal with it. Maybe you can relate to that in your marriage. or Maybe, maybe there's a conversation you, know, you, you need to have with your spouse. There's a situation that's not going to go away. And you're thinking, Pastor Mike, would you get out of my business? Okay, just, For example, not you, of course, somebody else. But maybe there's a conversation that needs to take place. Or there's a situation that's growing. And it's a, man, it's an elephant in the room. And nobody wants to deal with it. As we come to Acts chapter 10, there is a massive elephant in the room of the early church and nobody wants to deal with it. And here's the elephant in the room, if I can put it this way. The church at this point, when we come to Acts 10, is exclusively Jewish by makeup. It is made up of Jews who have traveled to Israel or they've come to know Jesus as their Messiah. And they've grown by leaps and bounds. And to this point, the advancement of the gospel message has predominantly been the Jewish world. The church is made up of primarily Jews, those ethnic Jews from Israel at this point. But God has told these Jewish believers, hey, you're going to take the message of the Messiah To the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. That's us for the most part, right? So these Jewish believers, early church, you have a mission. You've been filled with the Spirit. You're going to take the gospel to the Gentile world. Ready for the elephant in the room? Jews hate Gentiles. And Gentiles hate Jews. And some of, this, some of this residue of this type of tension is very much present in the early church. And we come to Acts chapter 10 and the gospel, this message of Jesus, is not to stop in Jerusalem, Judea, or even stop into Samaria. Thank goodness it's to go to the ends of the earth, the Gentile, non-Jewish world. But man, a lot of these Jews in the early church, they've been taught, watch this, from birth There are people who are clean. There are people who have God's favor. That would be the Jews. And there are those who are unclean. You stay away from them. That's the Gentiles. And there's an elephant in the room in the early church. Now, I could talk infinitum to try to convey to you The seriousness of the tension that exists between Jew and Gentile, even in the early church. You say, how is that so? Where did that come from? Well, remember, up to this point in the history of God's redemptive plan, God is primarily focused on one nation, the nation of Israel. The Jewish people, God from one man, Abraham, you know the story. Father Abraham, Genesis 12, Abraham, from you I'm going to start an incredible nation. From this nation, you're my choice nation, you're my special possession, you're my chosen people. All of that's true. And also true was from this nation of Israel, all the nations of the earth were to be blessed. That was God's design. But unfortunately what happened over a period of centuries really Jews and Jewish people began to misunderstand and twist and distort God's favor on them and blessing even to a point of social and racial pride and even hatred toward non-Jews. And it went both ways. I read, I read about this a little bit this week just to give you some illustrations of kind of what went on in this culture. It was so deep, this rift in the culture where the early church is to be made up of Jew and Gentile alike. It was so, the rift was so great, Jews believed they were saved because of their nationality. Jews, Gentiles were considered ceremonially unclean. A a Jewish little boy or a Jewish little girl was taught, you're not to come in contact with an unclean Gentile. You're never to share a meal with an unclean Gentile. And you are to never, ever, ever go into the home of a Gentile. They had charged even with some religious background, if you will, and religious authority that we are God's chosen people. And because of the flesh and all of us have this tendency to be prejudiced, we see ourselves as somewhat deserving of God's favor. And everyone else, well, they're just kind of left out in the cold, so to speak. When God said, no, no, I'm going to bless a nation, the nation of Israel, to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. It was so thick, this rift that, just a couple examples, even if milk was drawn from a cow by a Gentile, a Jewish family would reject even drinking the milk. I don't know how you know that. Maybe it says it on the label or something. I don't know. The scribal law said the dwelling places of Gentiles are unclean. Even if you were a Jew and you traveled outside of Israel to Gentile territory during this day, when you came back into the land of Israel, you were to shake the dust off your feet. That's where that term comes from. Don't carry that unclean dust from the Gentile world into Israel. So you can see these things had been so ingrained into the minds of these Jews. Even now these messianic believing Jews were carrying some of this residue into the church. And there's an elephant in the room that's got to be dealt with. Because when we come to Acts 10, it is the next juncture in the expansion. The gospel is to go to the Gentiles. And God could tell them all day. We could sing about it all day. But listen, the gospel is not going to advance from you to a people whom you deem to be less important and even less valuable than yourself. And it became a massive barrier. In the early church. So God's going to deal with this. And he's going to deal with this by walking us through a story. He deals with this first in the life of Peter. Peter is going to represent the early church. Peter was brought up a good little Jewish boy. He trusted in the Messiah Jesus. He followed Jesus. But he had a lot of this residue in his mind of holy and unholy. Clean and unclean. Jewish This Jewish superiority almost Unclean Gentiles. He, he had that residue in him. And you're going to see another character, a man named Cornelius, introduced into the story. So the story's going to follow this guy, Cornelius, first. At the same time, God is dealing in the lives of Pe- life of Peter, representative of the entire church there in Jerusalem. Okay? So we're going to walk through this story. Going to make some, I think, challenging application to our life this morning. If you look with me, Acts 10one we We'll start there. Now... There was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. And this is very interesting that God introduces us and introduces to the early church this man Cornelius. First of all, he's definitely not a Jew. He's a Gentile, non-Jew. Secondly, he's not just a Gentile, he's a Roman Gentile, and not just a Roman Gentile, who were hated by the Jews even more. He's a centurion, he's a soldier, and they were seen as the oppressors of Jews. So if any Jew had a mind to despise someone who was a non-Jew, it would be a dude like Cornelius. So the story focuses on this man, Cornelius, who was at Caesarea. That was the military outpost, or if you will, it was the provincial capital. It's where, I mean, Jews hated Caesarea, the city, because it was named after Caesar. That's where the military outpost was. And here's this guy, Cornelius. And here's a beautiful picture that you've got to see come out as we read through this. God is sovereignly showing grace to this man, Cornelius. And i got to tell you, as a Gentile, undeserving of grace, just like the rest of us, thank God for the story of Acts 10. And thank God that he doesn't operate according to what we create by human tradition. God acts out of his overflowing mercy and love and grace. So here's this undeserved, if you will, Gentile, verse 2 says, He was a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. You say, what is that all about? Now, we could spend an entire message talking about what's been going on in the life of Cornelius, but here's the overarching picture I just want you to see. God has been very sovereignly at work in the life of Cornelius to open his eyes, to extend grace. He takes him from Italy. He plants him in Israel in Caesarea. He's exposed to the one true God through the Jewish religion, if you will. And Cornelius, at this point in his progress, has hunted his pagan ways and he's trying to come to know this God of Israel That's the way God works here's what's happening in Cornelius's life just listen Cornelius is responding to the light God has given him so far Cornelius is not a believer in Jesus In our terminology, we would say Cornelius is not saved, he's not born again, he doesn't know Christ, he doesn't know the Messiah, but up to this point, God has extended grace, God has opened his eyes, God has planted him around other Jews, where they hold out the one true God, and at this point, he's been very responsive to the light he has been given. So the story continues about the ninth hour. Of the day, he, Cornelius, saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in. That's a funny phrase. I guess the angel just walked in his house. I don't know. This angel shows up and says, Cornelius, God is working so specifically in Cornelius's life. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, and so would you, by the way, he says, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Cornelius has responded to the light he has received, and God is faithfully going to give him more light. Verse five The angel says to Cornelius, All right, here's what you're going to do you're going to dispatch some men. You're going to send them to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. Now, Cornelius had never met Peter. He doesn't know who Peter is. He's simply receiving this instruction. He says, you're going to get some of your guys. You're going to send them from Caesarea, which is on the coast. They're going to go 40 miles south to the city of Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv. He says, you're going to send those guys, and they're going to find a guy named Peter, and you're going to bring him back here. Verse 5, he is staying with a tanner, verse 6, named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Now, question, why didn't God just use the angel to proclaim the message of Jesus to Cornelius? I mean, let's be honest, he's got Cornelius' attention, right? An angel walks in, he's got his attention. He doesn't do that. In fact, he says, no, you're going to go find Peter, a messenger of God, a messenger of Christ, and bring him to your house. Why did, the, why did the angel just not do that? We know the answer to that because God's plan has always been to use recipients of grace to be the messengers of grace. That's you, by the way. If you're here and you're a recipient of God's grace, you've tasted the grace of God, you've been transformed, you've been born again. You say, I'm not so sure I'm qualified to be a messenger of grace. You're qualified to be a messenger of God's grace because you've received God's grace. The angel could have done it a lot better than Peter, but that's not the way God operates. God uses broken vessels like you and me to speak and to share the message of Christ to others. He says, go get Peter, bring him to your house. Verse 7, when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. He says, okay, guys, <clears throat> after he had explained everything to him, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> could you imagine that conversation? Okay, guys, an angel came and talked to me. What? Okay, you okay, Cornelius? Yeah, an angel came and talked to him. He said, go to this house, a guy named Peter. We you know Peter? No, never met him before. Okay, we're going to go talk to Peter. Forty miles to Joppa, all right, and then you are going to bring him here. Okay, so it took a little while to explain this. He sends them out, and they go to Joppa, end of verse 8. Now, as we walk through this passage, I'm going to give you two or three, I think, very helpful truths, and then we're going to give some challenging application at the end. Truth number one is this. Making Jesus known involves God sovereignly preparing the hearer. See, what you have right here is kind of like a movie. All right, this is the first scene, and everything's focused on what God's doing in the life of Cornelius. God has been at work in the life of Cornelius. He has prepared Cornelius' heart. Cornelius is ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because God has sovereignly prepared him. Listen to me, child of God. There are Cornelius's throughout your life. There are men and women who God sovereignly is drawing to himself. He is opening their eyes. They are ready to hear. And God doesn't use the angels. He uses you, the messengers of grace, to share and make Jesus known. Please not let that just be church talk. God uses you and me as recipients of grace to be reminded of what we have received. And we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. That's the way it works. But with that, be encouraged to know God is sovereignly preparing the heart and the mind of the hearer for you to be the messenger and share the gospel. That's God's work. God's preparing Cornelius now. God's going to prepare Peter. Peter. So the shift scenes from Caesarea to where Cornelius is, and all God's doing in the life of Cornelius. Now the scene's going to shift to Joppa, and God's at work in Peter's life. So let's pick that up, verse 9. On the very next day, the Bible says, as they, the soldiers, were on their way. So the soldiers are 40 miles. They're headed to, to Joppa. God is working in Peter's life. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. It's a time of prayer. It's about lunchtime. It's about noon. In those days, a lot of activity went up went on, on the housetops of these, the rooftops of these houses. It was flat. Peter's up there. He's spending some time in prayer. He's calling out to the Lord. Next verse says, But he became hungry. Man, he's really praying. He's, he's hungry and he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. Now, this is no diet, this is not. You know, diabetic shock that Peter's falling into. This is a God-imposed trance, if you will, on Peter. He so says he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens, literally the sky, opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down. Now, you could translate that word sheep into east, or sheet into East Tennessee, and you could call it tarp. We know what a tarp is, right? We cover up our wood and our hay with tarps, big blue tarps. So that helps you just picture this big blue tarp coming down out of... Having this sheet. But what's important and what God is doing in the heart of Peter is what he saw on this tarp or on this sheet. He says it was coming down, it was lowered by four corners to the ground, and there were all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. What in the world is that all about? So here's Peter. He's on the roof. He's in this trance. And he sees this sheet being lowered down. And he sees all these animals. You know, cows and pigs and horses and crawling animals and birds are represented on this sheet. And they come down. And Peter looks at him, And you're thinking, what in the world? Why would God do that? History. Every Jew who followed the Mosaic law understood that there were certain things in the mind and hearts of Jews that they would eat and they could eat and certain things they could not eat. It were the the dietary laws given to Israel. God gave them those dietary laws for a reason. It wasn't just for physical health. It was to be distinct and different from all the nations around them. So every Jew from the time they were born understood, listen son, there's some things you eat, there's some things you don't eat. There's some things in Leviticus God has declared to be clean, and there's some things God has declared to be unclean. You want to go eat a chicken? Enjoy a chicken. You want to go have a pork chop? Too bad, son. you got to wait. No pork chop. You want to enjoy some kind of, uh, I don't know, hamburger? Great. You want to go have catfish? You can't eat catfish. For example, you say, man, I don't know if I can handle that. So in the mind of every Jew, there were some things that they could eat and not eat. There were some things that were holy and unholy. So here's what Peter sees on this tarp. And here's what's important. Ready? Peter sees the intermingling of things in his mind that were holy or clean and some things that were unholy. And he's thinking, why are those things intermingling like that? And why are, you, why are you even, Lord, getting me close to things that for my whole life I've considered unclean? And then it gets even more serious. Verse 14, he says, a voice came to him and said, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter responds, as often Peter does to the Lord, well, Lord, I don't think you know what you're doing. He says, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything holy or unclean. What God is doing here is he's revealing something more than just about the dietary laws. Peter is being revealed, it's being revealed to Peter what God's plan is now for his church. Verse 15, he says, and again, a voice came to him a second time and God says, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the air. God wants Peter to get it three times. So Peter sees these objects that for his whole life he's considered unclean and they're intermingling with these things that he considers clean and he doesn't get it. Two things are happening here. One, God is abolishing the dietary laws. They're no longer valid. They're no longer necessary under the new covenant. They served a purpose for a period of time. And secondly, he's saying, Peter, you need to understand that the church that I'm using you to build and the gospel of Jesus that's going out from your perspective of a Jew, you've got to understand this church is not going to be made up of just clean Jews. In your mind, quote unquote, it's going to be made up of people from all over the world. And if you're going to advance the gospel, Peter, you've got to unlearn this view of unclean when it comes to the Gentiles. Put it in our terminology, Peter, you've got some serious prejudice in your heart you're going to have to deal with. And God uses a graphic, visual illustration to teach him this truth. Galatians chapter 3, Paul says of the church later, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. That doesn't mean those distinctions go away. They're still there. He says there's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. Listen to me. There's a difference between males and females, all right? That's not what this verse is saying. He's saying greater than any of these distinctions is the oneness that is to be shared in Jesus Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. Paul is saying that about a Gentile church. And Peter is learning it graphically that the church that we're a part of is not defined by geography. It is not defined by ethnicity. It is not defined by gender. We have all of those things and they're a part of it. But we serve under the banner of King Jesus and our allegiance to him supersedes all other distinctions. And that's what Peter has got to learn here. Because at this point, you've got to know there is a massive barrier to the gospel ever going to the Gentiles. Second truth is this. Making Jesus known involves God sovereignly preparing the messenger. God's got to work in the heart of Peter. And I'll just say, that's true for you and that's true for me. God is sovereignly working in Cornelius. He's ready The gospel is the gospel in all of its power. The spirit is working. And the only barrier in this story right now is what's going on in Peter's heart. And God is working in the life of Peter. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind, which meant he's not even sure what all this means as to what this vision meant. He said, behold, two men showed up from Cornelius. They called to him. So Peter's on the roof. He's saying, Lord, I don't even understand what all this means. I see the animals. I don't even get it all. And at that moment, a knock comes on the door. And it's these three Gentiles. And they show up and they're asking for Simon. Verse 19, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, which is church talk to say, what in the world did I just see? I don't even get all this. Listen to this. The Spirit of God said to him, behold, Peter, three men, Gentiles, are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Wow. In other words, the Spirit of God reveals to Peter, listen, Peter, I'm working in your heart, and it's not about dietary laws. I'm working in your heart, watch this, in how you see people. And by the way, to help you learn this, Peter, we're going to go from theory to lab. There's three guys at your door, and they're Gentiles, and they're going to take you to a centurion, and you're even going to go into his house. God is stretching and preparing his messenger, Peter. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. They said, Cornelius, a centurion. I'm in verse 21 and 22. A centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear a message from you. Now it's time for action. Peter. Peter, remember what Jesus told you about taking the message of the gospel to the Gentiles? Now it's time, Peter. You're going with them. You're going with those centurions. And by the way, you're going without misgivings. Don't doubt. Don't fear. Don't worry. Trust me, I have sent them to you. God is at work in the heart of Peter. Now, I want to give us some practical applications in our own life. Let me give you this third truth that we see. So God, God works to prepare the hearer. We see that. God's working to prepare the messenger. He works in our lives. And third truth, very quickly, making Jesus known always involves crossing barriers. There's an enormous barrier here in Peter's mind. He's seen the vision. God has spoke. He knows what God has said. But again, for him, Peter struggles with this for the rest of his life. You go over and read in Galatians chapter 2, he and Paul even have this, they duke it out over this same issue that Peter, it's so hard for Peter to overcome this residue that's in his heart and the way he sees Gentiles. There are barriers in the life of Peter that I think are barriers in your life and my life that let's just get real gut level honest with each other. Listen, that hinder you and me from making Jesus known. There are some barriers in Peter's life that are the same barriers that you and I struggle with that just hinder us as a church. We are growing in this area. It's becoming more and more of the DNA. I long for the day when every time you meet in your life group, somebody's talking about the person they're sharing with. Somebody's talking about the person they're praying for because there's such a burden here to see the Corneliuses around us, that God is at work, that we have this culture of making Jesus known. We're growing in that but let's be honest I got barriers in my life that keep me from ever making Jesus known and so do you so did Peter and going will give you three of them quickly and then we're going to have the joy of hearing from Tommy Marcy Hobson who crossed a major barrier to make Jesus known in just a few minutes so barrier number one is this there's the comfort barrier Verse 23, on the next day Peter got up and he went away with them and some of the brethren from Joppa and accompanied him and they went to Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and he called together his relatives and his close friends. So he gets there, Cornelius is waiting. It's not just Cornelius, it's a whole bunch of Gentiles. Cornelius has got to, or Peter's got to go into their house. Everything about this makes Peter uncomfortable. But Peter, because Christ has spoken and because of his deep love and yearning for Jesus to be known by the power of the Spirit, he's willing to jump over this comfort barrier. It is really important for us to be reminded That God is not necessarily calling you and I to be comfortable. In fact, the gospel most often advances when we step into situations that we might deem uncomfortable. It might be uncomfortable to cross the street and go talk with that neighbor. It might seem a little awkward to go to that classmate. It might seem a little uncomfortable to be deemed on that team. Well, he's the Jesus guy. He never stops talking about Jesus. In other words, we have some challenges with this comfort barrier. Jim Elliott said, God does not call us to be comfortable. Jim Elliott died on a riverbank in Ecuador at the tip of the spear of an Indian that he was trying to take the gospel to. Before that, he said, God does not call us to be comfortable, but to trust him so completely that we are not afraid. Trust him. Peter crosses a major comfort barrier to make Jesus known. I want to challenge many of you in this room. There's a barrier that some of you need to strongly consider crossing. I'm praying. I just tell you, I'm praying that next spring, for example, in the midst of a church that's developing a culture of... Just, man, mean, we're telling people about Jesus. We're making Him known. Some of you say, I'm going to make Jesus known in Denver, Colorado and be part of a new church plant. Because there's churches all over here. God has called me and I'm going to make Denver, Colorado my home so that I can be part of starting a new church. I pray some of you cross that comfort barrier and go. And I'll tell you something else. And I want to challenge you with something maybe as clear as I've challenged you in the last, I don't know, six months or so. You guys know as a church, in order to make Jesus known, several years ago we started a Johnson City campus. Many of you guys know that. You know about it. The Johnson City campus exists for members of Tri-Cities Baptist Church who call Johnson City their home to say, I'm going to worship in Johnson City at the Johnson City campus so that I can reach more effectively those where I live, work, and play. Some of you who live in Johnson City, I want to strongly encourage you to prayerfully consider making that your campus home, at least for a period of time. The campus is moving forward. We are so excited about what God is doing there. But we want to see some of you say, for the sake of the mission. I'm going to make Johnson City campus my home. The next step on that for you, go ahead and put that slide up on the screen. I want to encourage many of you, on the 30th of July, if Johnson City is where you live, to attend an information meeting at the Johnson City campus. It's going to be about 45 minutes. You'll hear from some of the team to find out, why would I want to make this my campus and how could it help me advance the mission and make Jesus known? This past Sunday, there was a couple that may be here this morning. I'm not sure. But they were there for the very first time from our gray campus. And they came. I didn't even know they, was coming. they were coming. They said, we're going to make this our home for a period of time. And they said, about a mile from the Johnson City campus is a family that we know. And we've been trying to share the gospel with them. And this campus being here and worshiping here is going to help us to make Jesus known. And we hope to incorporate them, see them come to know Christ, and be part of a healthy church body. Some of you need to strongly consider that. Secondly, I want to show you another barrier really quickly. You see this in the life of Peter, verse 25. Uh, Peter shows up, Cornelius is there, Peter, uh, Cornelius bows down in worship. Peter says, stand up, man, I'm just, a, I'm just a man. He finally gets there, he says, you yourselves know, Peter said, how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. Peter says, listen, Cornelius, I don't know if you know this or not. <laughs> But Jews like me, don't hang out with Gentiles like you. But Peter's going to put in a statement what God has been teaching him and what he's learned. Next statement, and he says, verse 28 at the end, And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man, any person, unholy or unclean. God has been teaching Peter, Peter, you don't see people like I see them. Barrier number two, some of us have a prejudice barrier. You say, Pastor Mike, come on, there's not a prejudice bone in my body. What are you talking about? I can't believe you would say that. Let me tell you ultimately from a biblical perspective what prejudice is. Prejudice is a sinful, prideful barrier that exists in our hearts when we deem ourselves more deserving of God's grace and His love than any other person on the planet. And I tell you, this cuts me deep. Somehow, someway, if I begin to think, well, I'm a white American Republican. And somehow, subtly, I'm more worthy of the grace of God. Watch this. This will stretch you. Than the ISIS Muslim leader in Syria. Uh Uh-uh. And you just fill in that blank, whatever category you want to fill in. If there's any person that you somehow deem yourself to be more worthy of the grace of God, you've got a sinful prejudice. Peter wasn't even aware it was there. God exposed it. Sometimes God needs to expose that because here's the bottom line. Unless we as a church move past some of those, and, and we as individuals move past some of those, we're simply not going to advance the gospel the way God calls us to. You could sum up prejudice like this, and I'll move to the next one. Spirit of God, use this in our lives. We have a prejudice when we do not see people like God sees them. Period. Because of their background, because of their race, because of, you fill in the blank, because of their socioeconomic status, whatever it is, you fill in one. We don't see people like God sees them. God help us. God did a work in Peter's heart. Third one, very quickly and we'll be done. And Tommy and Marcia will come and join us. There's an apathy barrier. We can be gut level honest with each other. There's an apathy barrier. Peter, from a season of worship and a season of prayer on the rooftop, emerges from that, having met with God, having spoken spoken to by the spirit of God and Peter even though he's uncomfortable even though Peter doesn't even understand everything Peter goes and you can read it in chapter 10 he declares the person of Jesus Christ as risen from the dead crucified the one God has pointed to the Messiah with great joy he can't stop talking about Jesus you know why I'm going to quote Pastor Palmer Milley from two weeks ago because he said it so well here's the bottom line Where Jesus is treasured, the gospel is shared. That's challenging for me. Challenging for us. That's why it's so important for us to come together and for us to be in groups and us as to assemble like this to be reminded. Jesus is better. He is your treasure. You may have all these other things, but they're not your God. They will let you down. They will lead you to emptiness. Jesus is better. And what's this? When I really believe that Jesus is my treasure, when I love Him so much, I you can't stop me from speaking what I've seen and heard. That's what's going on in the Book of Acts. God. Would you get us over this apathetic barrier of merely going through the motions? And God, would you set us free from gathering in what we call, watch this, we call a worship service that never results in us going out in witness. True worship biblically from Moses to David to Isaiah to the early church, genuine God-honoring, face-to-face with God worship results in witness always. God, help us know you to the point that you, nothing can stop us from making Jesus known. Amen. It's got a church we want to be. I want to show you a living example of that. And they certainly don't want to be held out as heroes in any way. So, Tommy, Marcy, you guys come on up here. Um, our children are with them. Andrew and Abby, I don't think they're going to come up on stage, but they're here as well. I want to ask them to come on up st- on stage. These are, these are us. They're our family. They're part of our church. God called them about four years ago to relocate in Africa uh, to cross some pretty significant barriers. i glad to see you guys again. Want to appear in church? Would you just welcome them, Tommy and Marcy, here with us for a minute? Again, they're us. This is our, we, we support these family. They're, they're still part of our church, but they're uh, they're in a pretty tough place right now. So why don't you guys, for maybe some folks that don't know who you are, uh, maybe introduce yourself. Where are you serving, and what's going on right now? Okay,
1: so yeah, we're the Hobsons. We serve in Kampala, Uganda. It's the capital city of Uganda. And we've been there about four years, as you said, and uh, what we do is, our main purpose is to encourage missionaries, AMB missionaries. I work in logistics, and basically we have uh, several missionaries, many missionaries in Uganda. We have uh, one single lady in Rwanda, and we had a team in South Sudan we just had to pull out. And so what I do is I try to encourage them and help them with their logistical needs. For instance, the team that had to pull out of South Sudan needed help getting out. They needed uh, help with the air flight out with the, they had a small uh, plane that came and picked them up and then we had to get some of their uh, valuables, uh, their vehicles and stuff in in a different area. So I helped organize that. So that's some of the things I do. And Marcy encourages in some different ways. We have a small guest house. Uh, where we live in the city and many missionaries that lives way out in rural areas will come in every three months or so and do shopping and just take a breather mm-hmm. and, and exhale a little bit. And so she does a great job of not only just managing the guest house, but uh, as if you know her, uh, she's a natural at encouraging and just does a great job at, um, uh, spending some time with the missionaries that come in
0: yeah so with the imb that's the international mission board we as a church partner with the international mission board you're there to support the work of missionaries if i can say it this way to make jesus known right there in africa right. so uh tell us a little bit in lot of the message and you know i've been talking a little bit about this i mean obviously you guys crossed some pretty significant barriers to do what you believe jesus was calling you to do so help identify some of those for us i mean for you guys living examples Making Jesus known involves crossing barriers sometimes.
2: What, what was that
0: for you? What were those for you?
2: Well, first, this morning's song, The Barrier of Comfort. And I was said earlier, I didn't know that was an issue for me. I felt that we lived pretty missional here. We led a, a Sunday school class and went on tons of mission trips. So honestly, I thought living in Africa was going to be one long, lifelong mission trip. <laughs> and it is not. And I won't say Africa as a whole. Let me say Kampala. There are parts of Africa I do really, really love. When you get out of the city, Uganda is beautiful. Kampala is not beautiful. Mm. It is a very difficult place to live. The driving is insane. Corruption is everywhere. So I realized that comfort really in the U.S. was my God. When I got there and family was stripped away, friends were stripped away, my kids' school, where they had been since kindergarten was stripped away, was hard, mm. life was hard, but God was there through it all. And recently I was asked, would you do it all again? You're at the end of a four year term, would you do it again? And I was like, absolutely. Mm. Because the, the way I have seen God, recently Abby asked me, do you ever doubt God? And I was like, oh, I've always doubted God, but I never do anymore because of the last four years Mm. not because he's any different than I am yeah and when everything is stripped away and he's all you got he and your family God looks a lot different Mm.
0: that's great thank you I asked you guys this question earlier um I know you could go hours with this but so help us just get real practical what drives you then I mean, we've, we talked a little bit about it. We don't, I'm not asking you to support my message, you know. But at the end of the day, there's got to be moments you say, why am I here? Why am I doing this? What, what is it that the Hobsons say, this is why we're
1: doing this? Well, it, and, I, and I mentioned this before, but it truly is. The, it's, you know, we know that the gospel needs to be proclaimed here and around the world in some places where they never heard it. But uh, when we were in church here over four years ago, uh, the church really helped us they challenged us our small group our our church family challenged us we got into the word together uh, the messages here and we really just started digging deeper you know God really we don't want to just live life as a church member and yeah learn more about the Bible learn more about uh, uh, scripture and and then go home and and, uh, here unless you want us to be here doing that here and he just kept Somehow, someway, he just kept pulling us into a different direction. And so what drives me, and I know what drives Marcy, too, is that we honestly, it's not it sounds like church talk, but we want to bring glory to God, whether that be here in East Tennessee where we love, man, we've missed these mountains, man, <laughs> I've, I, we have enjoyed our time here, our break, or whether it be somewhere across the ocean, and we wanted, we said to God, both of us, and as a family, our children too. We said, "Listen, this is you, God. This is not us." We took six years to get to the mission field because we didn't want it, We wanted to make sure it wasn't an emotional thing. You can get real emotional when you see people in need. Yeah. You can get real emotional when you hear stories about somebody that. When you say Jesus, and they say who? I mean, there's people in the world that's never heard His name. Um. But uh, so we wanted to walk through that and make sure it wasn't an emotional thing and we just want to we just want to love God. Mm. We just want to love him.
0: Yeah. Well thank you. And on behalf of the church we did want to say you guys have been great examples to us as a church family. Thank you for that. So why don't you let us do this? Uh, Why don't you maybe share one thing that we can specifically be praying for you about as a church family and take that seriously. I mean, this church prays for you. We love you, support you, encourage you. How can we pray for you right now specifically?
2: We leave in three weeks. So when you live on a mission field, and this is another thing I didn't expect here, we always have the same friends, either friends through school, friends through church, our family. But there, everybody's always leaving And we did not realize that there would be that much transition. So recently, one of our daughter's best friends left. Two two families we were really close to left. We have new people coming in with the IMB, which is exciting. We'll have a team in the city Mm. for the first time since we've lived there. But with all the transition and then going back from home is going to be kind of difficult. So just pray Mm. as we transition back that we will transition well. And as soon as we hit the ground, the kids will start school probably the next day. We have people that will be our neighbors that we've never met that will be there to support and make them feel welcome. So just pray that as we transition that jet yeah. lag will be easy and that we will just be ready yeah. to hit the ground running.
0: Amen. Thank you. Church, let's pray for Tommy Morrison again, let me just say don't, don't listen to Pastor Mike pray. I want you to pray for these, your brothers and sisters. So uh, as I pray, you just pray with me. You've heard some of these requests, and let's lift them up before the Lord. Ask our team just to come on up and join us on stage. Well, Father, I do want to intercede on behalf of my brother and sister here, Lord, and their whole family. Uh, God, you know exactly what is ahead of them when they hit the field in a couple of weeks, Lord. You know all that's involved with their travel and transition. And, and Lord, just all that's involved relationally there with new people and friends that have gone. And Lord, we recognize all that. We lay that before you. We lay that anxiety on you. And God, I pray that your grace would be sufficient in their lives to allow them to continue on what you call them to do. Jesus, as Tommy said, I, I ask you, and this is their desire, that as they make Jesus known there, Lord, you're glorified. Just that you're glorified through their lives and whatever that means. And God, I pray that for us as a church. It's not church talk, not church speak. Lord, what does it mean for us to do whatever it takes to make you known and bring you glory? Lord, let that be our desire. I thank you for examples like Tommy and Marcy. I know they're not heroes. I know they're disciples just like us, God. But thank you for examples in our church. And God, I'm going to ask you specifically for this. Would you give us many, many more Tommy and Marcy Hobsons who are willing to cross whatever boundary there is to make you known in our neighborhoods, in Johnson City, to the ends of the earth, whatever it is? God, would you raise up from this church more and more Tommy and Marcy Hobsons for your glory? We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let me guess. Thank you, church. Would you just let them know one more time how much you appreciate them? faithful faithfulness. So I'm just going to extend a time of response to us this way. I know it's late. We got started a little bit late, so give us a little patience, but we're going to stand and sing a response song in just a minute, but I hope you've been challenged today from the Word. I hope you've been challenged to ask the question, okay, I want to make Jesus known, but there's some barriers in my life that keep me from that. So, Jesus, would you just let my love you so much and let my worship be, just make yourself known to me in such a way, I can't stop speaking what I've seen and heard. God, is there a comfort God in my life that's keeping me from walking and following you like I want to? Is there just an apathy that sinks in, a religious apathy? Is there a, a prejudice in my heart, Lord, that I need you to deal with? Maybe other things God's dealing with your heart. So, if you just bow your head for me, minute, I'm going to pray for you and we're going to stand and Kind of sing a song of declaration and response before we're dismissed. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord. God, I plead for us as a church. God, let us so worship you as you make yourself known. God, we can't stop making you known. Lord, we love you. Spirit of God, I'm asking you to work in the lives of men and women this morning in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.